Beyond Profit, a podcast of the ANA Center for Brand Purpose. I'm Ken Beaulieu. As a trusted advisor to CEOs at some of the world's most admired companies, Dave Petnayak has a good grasp of what separates good organizations from the great ones. And this much is true. It's not the quality of their ideas. According to Dave, the longtime CEO of Jump Associates, a strategy and innovation firm, companies that anticipate and act on the needs of their customers are the ones that stand apart. It's the essence of being an empathetic, purpose-driven brand that seeks a higher reason for being than profit. But at a time when companies are resorting to misleading business practices in order to gain a competitive advantage, including purpose washing and greenwashing, it can be tough for consumers and customers to separate the true do-gooders from the imposters. To help get a better read on whether the business world is walking the purpose walk, I am joined by Dave, an adjunct professor at Stanford University and a board member of Conscious Capitalism. Dave is author of the claim book, Wired to Care, How Companies Prosper When They Create Widespread Empathy. Dave, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Ken. So Dave, I want to start off talking about brands that position themselves as heroes. We see that a lot right now versus saying like, here's how we benefit the consumers in the world. And so that's sort of a sea change. We're seeing, you know, a movement starting to go in that direction. I'd love to get your thoughts on that and whether brands still have a ways to go. I I, I think there is a, a natural evolution that we're seeing in the world, right? And I mean, not just at the level of a brand or even at the level of a company, but just with human beings, right? We're getting wiser. We're getting more thoughtful as people, right? And this is this is the good news. In the midst of all of the, the craziness you see and the war you see and the strife you see, you got to keep in mind, 200 years ago in this country, people thought it was okay to own other people. Why, why we, right? And then 100 years ago, people were like, oh, I don't know if we should give women the right to vote because they might go nuts with that. Right. Right? And so the story of certainly the last 700 years have been one of gradual, painfully slow human progress. And one part of that is the realization that what we do all day long, our day jobs, shouldn't just benefit us. Maybe should go beyond that to benefit our families, maybe go beyond that to benefit our, our, our communities, even go beyond that to benefit the planet. That's a natural, beautiful process of human development. Right. So how do brands move in that direction? Yeah, and I have to tell you, and I love this podcast. You have all sorts of great folks on. I don't believe in purpose-driven brands. Why okay. is that? Well, so here's the thing. When you talk about a purpose-driven brand, it starts to reduce it to purely just an act of marketing, like a marketing tagline. And I know we have a lot of marketers listening to this, mm-hmm. right? And I think that misses the point uh, that that actually becoming a purpose-driven company can be a source of sustainable competitive advantage. So that's not just marketing. That's how you do human resources. That's how you do supply chain. That's how you do governance, right? And so the challenge with that is you can't have just a purpose-driven brand, right? You can't just have a single, you know, brand off by themselves doing what they want, especially in an age of extreme authenticity and extreme transparency. You can put whatever you want on a commercial, but I can Google in five seconds and see what is what's real. Look, the biggest example of this, and I love these people. So take this, you know, mm-hmm. you know from a place of affection. I love the fact that Dove has their whole real beauty campaign. 
because I have a 15-year-old daughter. And I really like the thought that people are telling my daughter that they should that she shouldn't reduce her self-worth to how she looks on the outside. That would go over so much better for me if I didn't know that right down the hall inside Unilever are people working on Axe body spray telling my son that the biggest thing he needs to do when he gets up in the morning is worry about whether he's going to get laid, right? It doesn't work. It doesn't work at the level of of brand. It has to be an authentic expression of the whole company. Right. It has to be rooted in business strategy. It has to be rooted in business strategy. It has to be an authentic part of your culture. You can't just say, hey, you, you know, we make soap. Let's go to see if we can do something around clean water because, you know, the, the, the last survey says people care about, you know, clean water. It mm-hmm. has to be authentically part of who you are. And right. that's a much harder task to figure out. That's something my colleagues and I at Jump, you know, spend years of our lives helping folks to identify that, that central truth. So it's not that you don't necessarily believe in purpose. It's how it's how brands go about activating that purpose. That's, that's right. I very much believe in purpose-driven companies. I just don't believe in purpose-driven brands. Thanks for making that distinction. Yeah. So so there's been, uh, Dave, a lot of backlash over woke capitalism, which has inhibited some companies' ability to drive change. What's your message to leaders who may feel they're paralyzed about supporting progressive causes, or do you run counter to that? Yeah, I think uh, like the like the last you know thing we were just talking about. I think I run counter that. I am um, strongly against woke capitalism. And look, lifelong Democrat, full disclosure, mm-hmm. right? But the idea that a purpose-driven company therefore needs to be a politically progressive company is just off base. A purpose-driven company just needs to have a greater cause bigger than themselves more than making money, mm-hmm. right? But that cause may not necessarily be something from the progressive agenda, right? Some of my colleagues hate it when I say this, but Al-Qaeda is a purpose-driven organization. We just don't like their purpose, mm-hmm. right? But and, and, and there are many organizations, um, look in the United States, you know, places like Chick-fil-A, right? Places like Interstate Batteries, places like Hobby Lobby, who very much are coming from the stance of, with apology, I'll oversimplify their point of view, the Christian right, right? But they come from a place of deep integrity and greater purpose. Well, one issue that that continues to plague the marketing industry is purpose washing or bogus attempts to appear purposeful. And I think that's sort of what you were intimating. What are you seeing from your vantage point from your clients and what will it take to drive more authentic marketing? Yeah. So authentic marketing is when it's a representation authentically of the company itself. There's been a lot of research around, well, what is the performance of purpose-driven companies? And candidly, the, the, the data is mixed. There are some that say, oh, there's a huge difference, right? In terms of revenue, in terms of profitability, in, in terms of, of yield in the marketplace. And then there's other folks who say like, oh, there really isn't that much of a difference. So my, my team and I actually went in and said, okay, let's do some analysis and let's figure this out. And here's the biggest difference. The biggest difference in all of these studies comes from who you consider a purpose-driven con company. Mm -hmm. What makes somebody purpose-driven? 
right? And when we actually look at it, we, we find that there's three types of, of firms out there. there. There's companies that really aren't purpose-driven, right? That, that, that's, that, that's not really part of their selection set. You, you know, they're, they're financial service firms who would think all of this stuff is, is just a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. There are some companies who are purpose-talking, shall we say. They have a purpose. It's on the wall. It might show up in a Super Bowl ad for them, right? And then there's the people who are actually purpose-driven. And there's a big difference between the purpose-talking and the purpose-driven companies. So what's your metric? And we've had to go back and, and, and do a lot of work on this. What we at Jump have, have seen is that there's kind of five big factors that really um, evaluate whether you are truly a purpose-driven company, right? And those five things are, do you have an activated sense of purpose more than just making money? And can everybody in your company articulate it? And does it, you know, do you use it to actually make decisions, right? Mm -hmm. Do you have an aligned culture? Are there a set of values and behaviors that you actually hold people accountable to? Which is like, okay, great, you made your sales numbers, but you didn't live according to our values, so you got to go. Thirdly, stakeholder centricity. Are you really just focusing on on shareholders or even customer centricity? Or have you expanded beyond customer centricity to think about your partners, your communities, and the planet on a win-win basis? Fourthly, next level leadership. Do you actually have a, a program for developing people? Because you can't do the first three if you don't have people who are, who are getting developed uh, along the way. And in, in, in the great examples that we see, these are companies that, you know, if I join you when I'm 22, I have a higher likelihood of being a CEO or a senator or a spiritual leader when I'm 52, because Mm -hmm. we are just good at growing people. And finally, future focus, right? Which is that are you living, you know, week to week or quarter to quarter? Or do you have systems and planning methodologies to to plan and vision out five or even seven years? Right. And so we've actually translated those five factors into a scorecard. Right. And you can go through and say, okay, so like on a scale of zero to 100, where are these companies? Mm -hmm. And when you rate that, you say, and let's be generous. Anybody over 50 will call you a purpose driven company. If you score on our scorecard over 50, we'll call you purpose driven. Then the difference is massive. Right. The difference for just, uh, you know, and and we're going to be publishing this report a little later this year. But what we're finding is that the difference between you and other comparator companies in your sector is like a 2x yield over 20 years. Mm-hmm. And the difference between you and the S&P 500 is like 5x difference, right? So it really does make a difference so long as you're actually talking about those purpose-driven companies, not just people who have a purpose. Let me ask you, Dave, should there be a sixth measuring success? So here's the thing, measuring success should come up in all of those places. Like if you if you talk about how do we value success, stakeholder centricity should say doing, you know, measuring success by our owners, measuring success by our team, measuring success by our communities. And the the room, the most robust examples do a great job of measuring success on a on a really kind of like a multi-stakeholder scorecard. Um, mm-hmm. And you see that in places like Patagonia or REI, Ben and Jerry's. That's why they they publish their, you know, their own report card every year on how they did. You know, how well do they do right by their stakeholders? Right. And, and theirs is a best in class example of mm-hmm. what stakeholder centricity looks like. Absolutely. So I mentioned uh, in my intro that you're a board member of Conscious Capitalism. 
Can you just talk about the importance of moving toward conscious capitalism? Why is that concept good for business and good for the world? Yeah, so I think the the insight that the founders of conscious capitalism had, right, was that they realized early on that you know companies should do right and do you know and do well, right? You can you can do good in the world, right, and you can you can achieve kind of traditional metrics of success. And conscious capitalism was founded by folks like Raj Sisodia, who's a huge thought leader in this space, and John Mackey, the founder uh, of Whole Foods, and uh, Doug Rao, who was the president of Trader Joe's, right. And these are folks who very much knew years before the rest of us kind of caught up to it, that the company should be you know, doing good and doing well. I think the, the insight in there that moves us beyond, say, just stakeholder capitalism, right? Because that's one part of it is, is sure. you got to do it with stakeholders, is you cannot do that if you don't unlock the consciousness of the leaders who are running the show there. And it's kind of deep investment in that. Right. I spend a lot of time advising, you know, CEOs as, as my day job. And every January I, I sit down with, you know, with my clients and I ask them two questions. The first question I say, okay, it's okay. It's January. Where do you want to be in December? Right. Like what are the three or four big things you want to have happened in this company? Where, what's, what's going to be different for widget co in December? That's, mm-hmm. that's, you know, a, a list of three or four things. And then I say, okay, yeah, but for you, Ken, as the CEO, what do you? What are your three or four things of how you want to change, how you want to grow in the next year, right? How do you want to develop yourself? Because it it is you know it cannot be, it's it's not possible that you're going to sit there and say, look, society's changing, we got to move. Our industry is changing. That's got to change. My company's changing. The company's got to transform. Me, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. Can you give me an example, Dave, of, of an organization that is practicing conscious capitalism? Yeah, there, there's there's so many good ones. And some of the most interesting uh, conscious capitalism, there, there are big companies and there are small companies. You, you know, and it's easy to see, you know, great companies in, you know, the conscious capitalism companies like Whole Foods and, and, and Ben and & Jerry's. But let's go to something that you wouldn't think of, like financial services. Right. We don't usually think, you know, it's easier with the consumer brands, you know, know, who make, you know, food and things like that. But take a company like Thrivent. Thrivent's Mm -hmm. been around for 100 years, right? They're a life insurance company at their core. But really what ties them together is they have this common sense. They're a mutual company, like a lot of traditional insurance companies. This idea of, of really deeply held faith. Again, not necessarily woke capitalism, deeply held faith that everything they have is a gift from God, right? And that gift from God should not just be responded to with an instinct of gratitude. It should be responded to with an instinct of service, mm-hmm. right? And then we should go out that, 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 you know, everything that we've been given compels us to serve others, right? And to live a life of service and faith. They're a $10 billion company, thereabouts, give or take. Right. And then you have other ones who are just, you know, startups now who are coming and, and mid-sized companies. There's a there's a whole wealth of of mid-sized companies. I think of you know, first United Bank in Durand, Oklahoma. Right. If you haven't banked with Durand in Durand, Oklahoma, they're a beautiful bank. And they too come from a point of like, you know, what is their role in their communities? And truly a conscious capitalist company. Right. They will do things, you know, like, you know, if, if you're going to go buy a house before they approve the loan, 
their people will sit there and say, are you sure you want to buy this house? Because it's in a really bad school district and your kids are young. They're three or four. I know you're not thinking about this yet, but you will in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Most banks I know don't ask those kind of questions to people. Hey there, Beyond Profit listener. The ANA Marketing Futures podcast, hosted by Michael Berberich, provides a deep dive on the future of marketing. Whether it's artificial intelligence, the metaverse, or the practice of innovation, the podcast demystifies emerging trends, shares unique perspectives, and breaks down issues relevant to marketers. To learn more, visit ana.net slash podcasts. And now, back to the show. I am speaking today with Dave Patnay, CEO of Jump Associates. Um, Dave, so you talk about the importance of having an aligned culture. How do companies that are truly purpose-driven communicate this to stakeholders? Yeah, you know, there, there's some, you know, big systemic ways and there's some small, easy, practical ways that, that you can do it, right? The big systemic ways is number one, do you have a set of values, right? And, and not like 10 values, but like, you know, five. It, those and, and ideally when you're defining those values, you do not want those values to be aspirational. You don't want them to say like someday we're going to have, you know, risk taking, but not really risk taking, but we aspire to it. The, you know, you want a set of values that you can look at and say, this is us on our best days, right? So you, when we're working with a, a, a company to figure out, well, what are their values? The last thing you want to do is just get a group of leaders in the room and write down all the stuff that you like. What you actually want to do is a bit of social science and go in and internally talk to people, leaders and lifers, people at the top of the organization and people who've been there a long time. And you ask them these kind of broad anthropological questions like, why did you come to this company? Or why are you still here? Or tell me about a time you were you were most proud of working at this company. Mm -hmm. Or tell me about a time you were most ashamed about working at this company. And in those questions, what you will discover is the actual real values of what our company is like on our best days. And if you can kind of like condense that down to, to a, a handful of memorable things, then you can build in behaviors that you can measure against to those values. And that can be part of the, the management and feedback and coaching systems that you put mm -hmm. in place. I want to segue into your book, uh, Wired to Care. You wrote about the importance of tapping into empathy. Right. Uh, talk about the social and economic benefits that empathy can afford uh, companies. And is that a hallmark of a purposeful brand? Yeah, you, you know, it's it's so interesting that I, I never expected when we were starting out um, thinking about uh, th this topic that I would end up writing a book on empathy, right? That's not where I would go. It's it's just something we saw over and over again with our client companies. You know, when we looked and said, what's the difference between the companies that are able to do great things quickly and move and those that just seem stuck in arguments, you know, all day long, the biggest difference was, did they have a firsthand intuition, a gut sense for the people they were serving beyond their walls? So if you take a, a company like Nike, there's a tremendous amount of empathy there for the people they serve. It seems like everybody who works at Nike is an athlete. And as a result of that, if you're working on a running shoe, that whole team is, is made up of runners themselves. That's why they're coming into work every day. And so if, if you have a, you know, a market research report that kind of sucks, guess what? The shoe ends up being pretty good nonetheless. 
because everybody who's working on that show has an intuition and a gut sense for what it's like to run. That is wildly different from most sneaker companies out there in the world. We went and spent time at Reebok and it seemed most of those people, good, smart, you know, top of their class folks, were consumer packaged goods marketers who happened to be selling shoes. Wildly different from a group of athletes who happened to be in business. Throughout the pandemic, we saw plenty of brands leaning into empathy in their marketing. Is that something that brands should consider, you know, at any time? Or do you have to pick and choose your moments when you when empathy becomes, you know, critical to a campaign? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of really ham-handed stuff that we saw over the last two and a half years, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we 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 saw Super Bowl ads that would talk about we're all in this together at the same time that the CEO is taking outsized bonuses and laying off a bunch of people, right? We saw folks who were putting up black screens on their Instagram to, you know, stand with George Floyd and yet um, the amount of African, the number of African-Americans that they were hiring in executive positions changed none at all. And so, you know, like in an age of extreme transparency, you have to be real. It has to be true. You cannot just say, well, you know, last year we were making wrenches. This year we need to write, you know, making the world a better place through wrenches. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) How? Why? Is that actually the deep psychological reason? That drives everybody, you know, you know, to to do what they do every day. That brings people into work every day, and and the, it, you know, a purpose. It doesn't have to be catchy. It doesn't even have to be unique. It just has to be true. Right. <laughs> it has to be the real, common psychological motivator. I'll give you an example of this. Take uh, my friends at Target, and I love Target. We have uh, been a strategic partner of Target for um, over twenty years now, and. They they started a journey with us to figure out and identify what is their greater purpose. And if you spend time with people, and we, we've interviewed hundreds of people through the organization, executives and frontline workers. We went back and talked to Bob Ulrich, who is the kind of de facto founder of Target, the man who made Target, Target. Right? And you see a couple of truths that come over, uh, come through every, you know, through all of that. Number one, they all care about families deeply. Every meeting I'm in with Target, the first five minutes, people are just spending time going, what did you do last weekend? And they're telling stories about their family, mm-hmm. right? And that's their warm up, right? Number two, it's all about finding little joy, not big joy. These are kind of, these are humble Minnesotans, right? They're not talking about, you know, like, oh, I took my kids to Cancun. They're like, no, 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 we went to the park and we played Frisbee. It was really nice, right? And, and so it's finding little joy. And the other thing that comes through across this company, 300, 400,000 people, is a deep abiding sense that everybody deserves these kinds of experiences, damn it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're in business, right? Is that like to help all families experience that. So their purpose statement, and, and it took us a while to really kind of narrow it down, was the target exists to help all families discover the joy of everyday life. And when the CEO, Brian Cornell, stood up in um, you know Target Center, which is the basketball arena in Minneapolis, and he had all of his store teams there, you know, like several thousand people, and he put that up on the giant LCD screen and said to help all families discover the joy of everyday life. There wasn't this like, oh, my God. It was more like, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's how you know you have a great purpose. 
What can large legacy brands that may be struggling to activate purpose learn from startups that root purpose right from the beginning? It's part of their DNA. What I would say is this. Number one, don't treat this like another marketing initiative, right? Mm -hmm. That you're going to just hire an agency to come up with a nifty tagline for you. Number two, don't think of it as as a facilitated group group where you're just going to get you and your senior execs in the room, right? And see if you can come up with something. That's how you get the, you know, saving the world through wrenches, you know, kind of things. Actually start to be curious about your own people. Employees have choices in 2023. There's a reason why the folks who have been with you for a long time choose to stick with you and be curious and go figure out what is that common big idea, like the idea of the joy of everyday life that's actually driving these folks, that's that's having folks stick with you in good times and bad and go find that and bring that back. And even in large companies, Right. In any culture that hasn't been completely broken or or damaged through, you know, successive waves of management abuse and downsizing in any healthy culture, you will find that common why. I want to go back to Target. Um, I love the fact that they were interviewing all stakeholders before before hitting on a purpose, which I think is so important versus having one group marketing or HR or what have you, you know, to get all employees involved and and uh, folks in the supply chain involved and customers, et cetera. How much you emphasize that point with clients that you take on who are looking to define their purpose? You have to you have to take everybody with you, right? You have mm-hmm. to uh, bring everyone along, right? If you don't do that, if you don't take everybody with you, you know, assume that every person you're not engaging is on some level of benign saboteur. Because you didn't take them along with you, so they're not going to be that bummed out if you don't succeed. Right? Right. <laughs> so you have to bring people along and you have to bring them in as, as part of the conversation. Again, wildly different from the old, you know, the old stories of command and control, you know, from a couple of generations ago. Much harder, much more of a pain in the neck. But if you don't bring them with you, they're going somewhere else. Good point. So um, you believe that purpose-driven companies have a horizon view beyond five years. Why is that important? Yeah, well, here's the thing, right? Some of the most robust purpose-driven companies that we see are not new companies. This is another misunderstanding that people have about purpose. Some of the most purpose-driven companies that you will find are more than a century old. Places like Thrivent. Or let's take Mars, the chocolate people, right? Mm-hmm. Mars believes deeply in mutuality and they have for four generations family-owned business. There's a, a company that some of uh, our listeners will know, the Tata Group in India. And Tata's own everything from Jaguar and Land Rover to Tetley T and, and steel companies. But Tata's have always been about uplifting people, right? There's an Indian company. And they've done that for, uh, you know, I'll get the number on, but somewhere in the neighborhood of 120 years that Tata's uh, you know, have, have been doing this. Air India was a basket case of a nationalized airline and, and just doing really poorly. I just read in the news today that they, Air India placed the largest order for Boeing and Airbus, you know, long haul jets, like a record deal. Why was that? Because a few years ago, the Tata's bought them. And having spent time with with Ratan Tata, he's without a doubt one of the most amazing, thoughtful, um, just kind of like wide thinking human beings I've ever seen. 
Dave, lastly, where do you think the purpose movement's going to go? Do you feel that purpose will, will be part of the discussion or just it's just part of doing business? I, I think this is a natural part of human development. This is also why I disagree with the, the whole issue of, of, you know, there's good companies and bad companies or, you know, there's true purpose companies and, and purpose washers. That's why I use the term purpose talking instead, because mm-hmm. right? they're on the path. If you continue to view life as good people and bad people, right, us and them, you're not moving things forward at all, right? This is a gradual path that if we're lucky, more and more people every day wake up and they realize that who they affect is a broader and bigger group of people than they thought before. Mm-hmm. Right. That that what we talked about, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, right? That 200 years ago, you know, we thought it was okay to own other people. I, I want to go on a time machine and go back and like slap those guys and be like, what? What are you thinking? This is mm-hmm. nuts. But it also makes me wonder, what are the things that I'm doing right now that somebody in 100 years or 200 years would look back and say, Dave, really? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I can guess a few of them, right? I mean, like, I know I should be vegetarian, but man, I really love a good steak, right? <laughs> and, but like the idea that like, you know, we live in a world where it's okay for a lot of us to have three houses and a whole bunch of other people to sleep on the streets. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure we're going to look by, back on that right in a few years and say, what were you guys thinking? Why do I you know, put it? Because at that scale, we are on a path of progress. And if you see people who aren't there yet, rather than looking at them with derision or disgust, it's an invitation for compassion. Deval Patrick, the former governor of Massachusetts, he said, said that, you know, the woke need to make room on the bench for the waking. Right? <laughs> and I think that that's a great call. Absolutely. Dave, thank you so much for joining me on Beyond Profit. I appreciate it. Oh, such a joy. Thank you so much. To learn more about his firm, please visit jumpassociates.com. That's jumpassociates.com. And if you would like to recommend a speaker or topic for this podcast, please email me at brandpurpose at ana.net. Until next time, thanks for listening.